Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to I Turn My Podcast On, the one and only super fanning, career spanning podcast all about the greatest rock band of our time, Spoon. Today, I'm going to give you a little update on the podcast, then we'll get into the episode. So just a life update for me. Things have been busy, things have been crazy, but we've been working behind the scenes uh, on some things for the show. So the first announcement, I'm going to get it out of the way. Very excited, I know you will be too. Spoon drummer Jim Eno will be joining the podcast. We've working, uh, kind of trying to pin down things we're going to talk about. Um, he's going to start with the Gimme Fiction record because that's where we are in the timeline of the albums. But then we're also going to go back to, uh, just because we weren't able to connect um, during those early recordings I did on the first albums. Uh, he's busy. I was busy. We were finally able to have some time to work on recording. So I'm just very excited about that. I'm, I'm going to hold for a moment of silence for applause and cheering. Uh, so that's great. We're going to do that soon. So again, that Gimme Fiction era episode and going forward, they're just going to be huge productions because we have uh, Mike McCarthy interview, Britt Daniel interview, Jim Eno interview, and we're going to splice that all together with the record. Um, you know, so you're not just going to hear my thoughts and opinions on it. You're going to hear all kinds of other stuff. The fan journey, how the records were made. It's, it's going to be great. It's going to be huge. So in the meantime, and not that this episode isn't as important because it's very much important to the history of Spoon. Um, so not to say this is just a holdover episode because I'm very excited to have you hear this interview with the man behind the Hot Pockets, Jeff Bird. Jeff is their live sound engineer going on 20 years this year. Uh, he started with them in 2002 back when uh, Kill the Moonlight and the subsequent albums were just gaining steam. So he was with them all the way up through Transference. Uh, the band took a break. Uh, they took a break working together. He came back. So we talk about that. And uh, then he was back with them in 2019 for the Beck and Cage the Elephant Night Running Tour and up into present day. So if you've seen a show recently, you've most likely seen Jeff Bird uh, working the faders. Again, He's just really important because they, they crafted this really specific sound that you hear now with the weird echoes and the dubs, and we really highlight how how great it is and also how unique it is that every night you're going to see a different spoon show because Jeff's turning different knobs, rising different faders, hitting different pedals, and that's what makes it so beautiful. So that's my introduction to the episode. Again, Jeff was awesome. We have been working on this for years. He was one of the first people I contacted when the podcast was beginning. We had about a three-hour phone conversation just talking about Spoon and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, so again, really kind, generous guy with his time. We had some tangents. We talk a little bit about U2. Uh, we talk a little bit about Radiohead. You know, so, But 97%, it's all Spoon content. So as fans of Spoon... As fans of music, I know you're going to enjoy it. Again, keep following the podcast. Keep sharing the podcast. I appreciate all the things that you do. Uh, the fandom, support, it's been great. Uh, we'll have more announcements about new things coming with the podcast very soon. So for now, please, please enjoy this interview with 
Hot Pockets. want to welcome Mr. Jeff Bird. <laughs> Appreciate you uh, talking with me. Uh, we've been working on this behind the scenes for a while. Yeah, want to hear some stories and uh, your time working with the band. First of all, let's just learn a little bit about you. Let's talk about uh, how you started in music, how you started uh, mm-hmm. your interest there, and, and what led mm-hmm. you into working in sound. And You know, just like any of us that are kind of devoted our interests in life to music, it's just out of the love of music. Never never was a musician in any sense of uh, the word, but I always loved music and thought I was going to be uh, a DJ. That was my uh, initial idea of uh, going into audio in college. And uh, within about a month, my teacher, uh, my uh, audio lab teacher basically said, well, uh, what kind of music do you listen to? And I just rattled off strange, weird goth and punk and soul. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. Well, you'll hate radio. You're not gonna be able to play any of that. And, And then basically in the same conversation, took me down the hallway and showed me the recording studio. And it was like a epiphany of, of like oh wow and he just said well why play the music when you can make the music you know make the records so that was basically the uh the beginning and i lived in that basement room for about five years in my college years and uh studied audio and and studied uh recording and that's what i did for um pretty solid from uh 94 to 2004 and then um sort of in the timeline and this is in san francisco uh starting in the timeline of the late 90s you know the first dot-com stuff started happening it just really changed the way music was live music and bands and recording studios were operating in san francisco we started to lose a lot of studios and lose practice spaces so i kind of started to feel like the writing was on the wall for me with staying in the bay area and i was about to go to los angeles thinking well this is where i'll go next but then um suddenly um, a few changes in life. And then also the, uh, out of the blue, a, a guy named John Vanderslice asked me to go on tour and I, I had no concept of the idea. And he just sold it to me. Well, as John is a gift of gab for, and just said, well, you can, you know, really believed in me more than I believed in myself about doing it. And so, uh, yeah, I went on a tour with him and, and, um, on that first show, which we had at the bottom of the hill, this was in the spring of 2002, uh, Jim Eno came to the show. He was in the Bay Area. He has a brother who lives out there. And uh, he, I had heard of Spoon, but I didn't know their music at all. But John had already confessed to me about like being a big fan and 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 talked a, a bit about him. So we, uh, Jim had given John a CDR, obviously of the time, a CDR of Kill the Moonlight. And it just said, I think it said LP four i think is that the fourth one yep yeah yep. so it just said lp4 and it had just been mastered and i don't even think merge had a copy of it yet so uh we the next day we head out first thing in the morning to start the tour and that was the first cd we put in the van and out of the gate i just mind blown on that record so we listened to it incessantly over that month-long tour and um Honestly, somewhere in my pile of CDs, I think I still have that CDR somewhere. <laughs> I think I just sort of walked away with it. Oh, that's great. But, uh, but we met Britt in Austin and, um, 
yeah and it just i didn't even really take to doing live sound and touring at that time i was like okay and then john had asked me about doing another tour later down the road and i was a little hesitant about the whole thing not sure that that was really a of a thing of interest i was still pretty mindset into recording and then um but then he kind of threw the curveball at it which was hey we're i'll be touring opening up for spoon for a couple of weeks on the kill the moonlight tour and i said oh okay i'll go and then uh we had a show i think it was the first within the first week of shows with them we got to omaha and Britt came up to me and said uh i don't know i don't really have a good feeling about this house sound guy can you do our sound tonight and i asked john john says yeah that'd be you know yeah do it go for it and so i did and it was a great show and and like Saddle Creek kids were there and it was just kind of this really fun gig I remember. And uh, I think that came back to them well. And, and then, um, you know, we did the tour. I did end up doing sound, I think one or two more times and we had a great time. We, I came back home. This was uh, the fall, almost the winter of, I think it was November of 2002. Okay. Um, Spoon came, you know, the, the album was doing great. They, they were starting to have, sold out shows which they were kind of new for them and uh, they came to San Francisco played this place called Slims which unfortunately is no longer and uh, they sold it out and so we're all hanging out backstage and uh, Jim came up to me said hey you know things are really going well and uh, we're we're thinking we're going to take a someone out with us to do sound on the next U.S. tour would you be interested we talked about having you know asking you and I just lost it you know i mean i just like of course yeah here's my number in a heartbeat and that was that was the that was the shift my the big life shift and they were the second band i ever worked with okay so before it was all studio and it sounds like you had an awesome teacher that uh guided you to uh (laughs) doing what you do uh which is awesome i love i love that a lot of times with people that are creative or working in art i remember i had like an awesome art teacher that would was really influential of and a librarian my librarian got me mm-hmm. into some really cool music yeah, <laughs> so right. those those people are important um absolutely he yeah. he under i think he saw that i was really focused on the audio not knowing anything and just thought well what is it that you really love about audio and of course it's the music and he thought well then if you love it that much you should actually be behind the scenes helping create the, you know yeah. the, the music so mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome um so you brought up something else that i think you're a great person to ask because I've, I've wondered this depending on the band um so when does a band get to a point to having a because you said spoon was working with the house sound guy on the tour so yeah. when 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 does that change when does i mean do they need to have enough money to obviously hire someone as part of their crew or or how does that work i guess it's very hard to say it depends on the artist when you, I think are at a point where you feel that it is more important to have the consistency of a sound and the mix be you night after night, you'll figure out a way to, uh, you know, make that sacrifice financially or whatever it is to bring that person with you, you know, and obviously in the beginning phase of that, the sound engineer tends to be um, multifaceted, you know, like you might tour manage or you might help with other things. Uh, wearing multiple hats okay, to just sort sure. of make it worth. So actually in those first years with Spoon, it was just myself, the band and a tour manager. And the tour manager would, you know, set up the show and 
but he also did merch and I was helping with the band gear, you know, like helping with drums and amps and just, you know, we all chipped in and, and made the show with just six little, guys, little we had. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It was a four piece back then it was a four piece and uh, yeah, just uh, um, Ben, our tour manager and myself and yeah, you, you just, you know, you wear many hats and, mm-hmm. and I think the, you know, the one thing that I feel was a strength that I had brought to doing live sound coming from the studio world was, you know, you, you really have to know about mic placement and mic selection and, and just the sound of the instruments. And, and in the studio, because you're under such a microscope, you know, just the slightest movement of a mic or distance or angle can completely change the tonality of the sound. So that I think was one of the things that I, I was a strength that I didn't even, you know, notice until I was doing it for a little while that like, oh, I guess some people just don't pay uh, attention to detail. Sure. So, so getting back into the history then, so that was 2000, end of 2002 when you were yeah. approached and they said, okay, you're, you're, you're in this for the long haul now. So you did a tour with them. Uh, yeah. Well, cause you did so much to, to do that. Like you like you just mentioned before, when the band has an identity and a sound, we need to do that every night. Um, I mean, obviously venue to venue, you might have some differences with acoustics and whatnot, but um, absolutely, that's why you were there. So I remember you were the one that gave, gave me the intel to ask Britt about the Bowery Ballroom uh, shows. And so yeah. this was the, this was that same same tour then. Same tour, yep. On the yeah. 2002 when they came to New York, that was our last show with them opening up for Spoon on the Kill the Moonlight. Okay, and so you were working with John at the time then? Yeah, I was still yeah. with John. Okay. And um, we had, they had sold out the first night, which was such a huge accomplishment for them and then to add a second night was just mind-blowing and to be in the room with a band and to see that you know see the audience see the band and feel that accomplishment and just everybody's kind of looking at each other sort of like i think it's happening you know (laughs) like you you actually start to see the snowball start going down the hill and um uh, in a good way, that is. Um, and uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was very memorable. And I think, uh, I'm not sure, I can't recall, uh, or maybe, you know, what Brit said about that show, but I do know for many years that was, we, we you know, that was a, a very high point time, um, you know, right? A big marker in in uh, the time on the road. But um, you know, and I think, uh, you know, hats off to Brit and Jim and everybody that's been in this band over the years, um, have been a part of it. Um, in all in all levels and places that you know it's a testament to those guys that they as much as they care about the records the live show is just as important you know in that sense of like we want the audience to experience the music the way we intend it to be and uh, I think that was um, you know and obviously our mutual taste in in music and and you know of all kinds uh, really helped help support that relationship yeah okay well that's perfect let's talk about that taste in music because that's what really projected into this the spoon that we've been hearing live since 2004 2005 that have that flavor of the uh you know the weird uh echoes and the weird dub parts um (laughs) so let's talk about that so 
sure. everybody collectively it sounded like you you kind of brought that influence of uh some king tubby some uh some dub to the band correct i think it was this perfect coming together uh at the time josh zarbo who's playing bass was really getting into dub and and uh and brit started to uh pay attention and uh i had had a history of listening to a lot of king tubby from um and actually a, a I think one of the first times I, I really got lost in it was I was doing a road trip from San Francisco to Los Angeles with a band who I was recording. It was just me and the bass player in his pickup truck with his dog. And we were on our way to, to Los Angeles to do, I, to, technically, I think this might've been the first time I ever did live sound, just some little bar cafe, but we were going down there because the band was going to meet their producer, a big high-end producer. And so on the way down, this uh, their bass player, uh, his name's Jeff Palmer, uh, played a bunch of King Tubby and and um, Augustus Pablo and and meters, a lot of meters. He was phenomenal. Uh, he's a phenomenal bass player, and he he kind of was the. I mean, I really want to give him credit to opening the door on dub music. I mean, I there was always reggae in my family in my house, but yeah, that that was for me a huge huge uh, influence for uh, just the sound of things and getting to know it. And then, so when we were on tour, we just listened to it here and there and it got passed around a little. And I think when Brit, uh, you know, I can't speak for him, but my understanding is just, he just started to really dive into it during um, between kill the moonlight and, and give me fiction. And, and then it started to seep into things. And he had uh, asked me about trying to apply those techniques or that style to some things and, you know, like some of the songs where there was some dub um, techniques used in the record. And so we just, that was it. We just kept trying and, and trial and error. And I used a couple different pedals to start with and none of it really felt great. Mm -hmm. And then I had to finally settle on the one that felt like I could, uh, you know, it, it felt uh, a kinship to in terms of just control and, and it's not even anything complicated, you know, in terms of just a, a memory man. You know, that's what it is. Memory man. Oh, you're giving it out. You're giving it out. I oh, thought that was, no, that no was the super secret. No, no, no. Jeff Bird. <laughs> no. Luna. Okay. No, no, no. Okay, no, cool. no the, the dub station is there for anyone. No. And I, I love it. I mean, I actually, I really, I, I don't, I don't take any credit in the sense of like, oh yeah, I've been using pedals for blah, blah, blah. But it's, I always just love seeing people doing that kind of mixing at front of house i think it's something it still has that tactile organic thing and and when you're doing it with pedals or even just some outboard gear it's not going to always be the same way twice you know that's right. the thing i i love about using the pedals is that if you just move it a little it's gonna be it'll sh take off and so <laughs> and i think and i think brit really loves that there's times where you know we've had a show and some echo will just freak out and take over the mix. And he and later on, he'll say like, oh, that was really cool. I would just <laughs> blew up. There was never this thing about my, uh, or, you know, the moniker, nickname. moniker. Thank you. Yes. Sorry, so moniker. yes, Brit yeah. built this up. Brit built this okay. whole thing up. Cause yeah, let's hear it. Let's well, hear cause it. I, I brought, I, 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 I brought it up during this time. I think it was on, yeah. we were talking about this record. Um, and um during gimme fiction because that's technically uh the the first new tour you would have started on uh, if you will mm -hmm. um, yeah from the beginning yeah yeah, yeah. and mm -hmm. um 
Yeah. So I said, you know, and, and you're kind of legendary in the fan community because going back to where I started back in the uh, messageboard.spoontheband.com, uh, never take it down, webmaster. Uh, you would like, I mean, not all the time, not, not, but like there was a time you were like with us, we were collecting all these tracks and you would get on there like, Hey, I, I forgot to download the bonus track last month. Does anybody have it? And I remember just like people are like, Oh, that's hot pockets. That's the sound guy. And everyone's like, hot pockets. What do you mean hot pockets? So, uh, of course, when I got the chance to ask Britt, I was like, okay, so what, there's gotta be some story to this. And he, right. he really built it up to like, yeah, you know what? I, I can't even tell you. You'd have to ask Jeff. Like, <laughs> This is the way I, I see it for my interpretation. Is I think Britt wanted to have a way of communicating to me at front of house without calling me out by name. And not because of anonymity. I think he just didn't want to say Jeff or, you know, or Bird or whatever. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, you know, because... I think he, you know, as Brit is, and I totally love him for it. He just likes to go around the norms. <laughs> and so, but also too, because we were learning how to sort of do this symbiotic kind of call and response where we didn't, we didn't sit down and rehearse it. It was very organic in its nature. And there would be, you know, and on a, you know, there'd be occasions where you'd be like, Hey, you know, uh, do it here or don't do it there. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. But he would, but what he would do is he would call me over the mic during the show, be like, you know, hot pockets. And then that was kind of like a cue, like hit it or acknowledging like, hey, you did some that was cool. And, you know, whatever you just did. And so the the way hot pockets came around was they were he was trying to come up with a nickname and he tried like before he started to say it over the mic on tour, he was trying out <laughs> oh great this is amazing oh man so, and i don't remember what they were but hot pockets came and it wasn't even because anything to do with hot pockets because i to this day i don't think i still have ever had one wow and I, you know there was it was just and it just stuck and so um that's what it became and, <laughs> okay I, that's that that's great i would have loved to be at the shows where he's trying all the other ones out imagine like um you know, like lean cuisine or yeah. uh, <laughs> Tina's burritos, just like all the frozen food section yeah. of uh, of uh, yeah convenient yeah. meals. <laughs> yeah, or, you know who knows? It was it was uh, it was very early days, and and there was just a lot of uh, silliness uh, <laughs> going around. So yeah. yeah, and that's basically what it was. And and so he just kind of used that as a way to communicate. And so we just, especially through Gimme Fiction, was just a lot of experimentation and. And, uh, you know, we would try some things out and, and then and then just as time went on, it just kind of became free reign. And, you know, obviously through the other records down the road, he he wanted certain hits to be very much to the record. And I'm not talking about delay, just like even little echo throws like Cherry Bomb or, you know, or or um, one that really stands out to me is Mathematical Mind, which um, live has just taken on a whole new uh, thing. And then, you know, and I, I really think it's because of the the stuff you guys did to get on that. Because yeah, there's yeah. this whole breakdown part. There's all these echoes. And not that I don't, not that I don't love the recording, but now it's like, man, the recording sounds so uh, boring compared to the live version. Because the live version is just so good. That's my other yeah. plug for hoping they do a live album someday with you. Um, yeah. But uh, well, that other. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say. I mean, it's it's a bit out there in terms of time, but we did have that three nights at stubs we put out oh yeah now at at some point and I, i'm not 
trying to under undermine anything, but th- these guys are sitting on lots of recordings, especially of that time we did. I was doing a lot of just straight board mixes. You know, we'll see that uh, uh, on this Lucifer tour of all the tours we've done, I've recorded everything, uh, almost every show. Th- I mean, this tours, I'm just so proud of these guys and, and how the evolution, I mean, they just continue to, to be, um, you know, just outdo themselves. I, I really, um, you know, a lot of times when bands, I think keep going, it, you know, there's just some things change, but I, 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 I was just, so, the first time I heard the record, I was just blown away at how much of a, it, it was really to me the first time I heard a Spoon record sound like Spoon, the band versus Spoon, the studio band. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's, it's really uh, represents a lot of the energy they do live and uh, really happy with that. Uh, for them and and i think um you know these recordings we're doing i would love to hopefully if they get a chance to comb through it at some point could do something some of these tracks sound incredible that would be great yeah well that's what i mean because i think they've just come they've just created a new energy and you know especially with a band that has 10 records that's been for over 20 years it's gonna be it's gonna be hard you know i'll look up like their because uh, I'm a nerd, I'll look up their FM set list FMs and be mm-hmm. like, oh, I want because they just have so many songs. I'm like, man, how do mm-hmm. you how do you even do it? So uh, that speaks to you, though, having mm-hmm. to know when you're working with them, like ev- basically, you know, at least 60 percent of the songs. Sure, there's ones that they're going to play every night. You know, they got a couple in their pocket of like they got to play these. But um, mm-hmm. how was that a challenge back, you know, maybe before? were you having to like go back to the first records and like learn how to do all that stuff or no i mean strangely enough i mean that i think there's an energy that that brit and jim and you know the subsequent members of the band over the years have tried to just create live that comes from the song and going back to what you're saying i no it's not really like a study of songs because it's only it's the later stuff where there's particular like production hits you know like oh this reverb here or do this delay here or something okay or you know turn this part up or i want this keyboard track you know this sound to be up loud or down and those are kind of muscle memory you know um obviously when i stepped away from working with these guys for a little while and then coming back there was a it took a little bit for for me to remember a few things but you know also too it's it's just such a um organic band and, you know, and obviously having been with them for so long, I mean, really the songs from soul, they want your soul was the only ones I was really not familiar with. Cause I didn't do anything with them during that time. So when I did stuff for them with hot thoughts and then they were playing stuff from soul, I, those were songs I had to study and go over with Brit about like, Oh, Hey, what, how do you want okay. this? Or we would do ch- sound checks and he would come out to front of house and you know say, Hey, this part turn up and take this down. And, Da, da, da. And so we would, we would worked on it that way, but in general, you know, he, he, he'll give me notes or, um, you know, say a few things, but he, he, I think, you know, at this point there's, um, and obviously this is the beauty of working with one band for so long. There's just become trust, you know, and, yeah. and you kind of know that the person out front is going to take care of you. And, um, you know, I think that's one thing that Brit has, um, a luxury of where, you know, he doesn't use in-ear monitors. So he can, you know, depending on the room that we're in, he can really hear the room and hear the mix. So he, he can, he can tell. I mean, one of the things I was really, um, really put a big smile on my face when we had worked together in a while. And then we did this really small show in Austin on, I want to say it was like July 3rd, 
of 2017. It was a like a free week show we did at Antones, and Hot Thoughts hadn't come out yet. It was about to, okay. but he uh, we did the show and it was all done. And he came up to he's like, he just said, "Man, it's just great to hear the the room like you mix the the band in the room." You know, it was like it was really fun, and it was it was just nice to hear that. So continuing on our our through line, you mentioned the bass players liking the dub, which makes sense. That's totally, Mm -hmm. that totally makes sense. That's where that started. Um, But that influence for me on the recordings really, really showed up on Gaga Gaga Gaga, which is just a fantastic record. Um, So at that point on that tour, because we kind of talked about the Gimme Fiction uh, era and you were kind of learning together, working together by that point, you you had a lot of things um, down pat, uh, but what were some of the things that you um, did differently, or or was it was it pretty much the same? Well, there no, there was some challenges with Ga. Um, one was, boy, we just you know we jumped to another level. I mean, that record really kind of pushed things up totally. another notch. So we started playing to bigger rooms, and that that all, all, always comes with its set of uh, challenges. And for me, not being uh, you know kind of not not learning completely on my own, obviously watching and, and taking advice and listening to other people that have done live sound, you know, before me and in different places, I'm always looking to improve what I do and, and learn tool, you know, tricks or whatever different techniques to just make it better. Um, that was a big one. That was a huge learning curve because there definitely can be a time with doing live sound where you can, your your skill set is challenged to like you know you might hit a ceiling and like well this this is all i can do in terms of the size of rooms because as they get bigger and bigger it's it's much harder and um i you know i i it was it was and also too that record just boy we we uh didn't have any idea the demand of what we were doing for that was going to be so crazy i mean we I want to say, I think that was the tour where it just like, I felt like we spent the whole tour flying around. I mean, that was the tour we did SNL and, and just so many crazy things were happening and uh, all these incredible opportunities. And um, I think, I think we just felt really accomplished with that one. Yeah. And, well, and, it's, it's great. Yeah. You know, and we had horns. We never had That's horns. Right. You know, we had horns on a lot of shows and that was, that was a blast. That was, uh, I loved it. And you know, I, uh, from the recording engineer side of things, I, I used to do um, jazz records here and there. And so I always love recording, um, you know, recording horns is fun. And, and, uh, but with a rock band, it's, it was, it was, uh, you know, it has its own set of rules. And, um, but we had a blast. And I think it's just, you know, we were, everything just kind of felt like it was exponentially getting bigger. And, and uh, the crowds were really loving it. And the response was great. So, especially with, I think, God was, yeah, it was, you know, it was kind of like the time where they started to get songs that were getting some, uh, you know, some play and people knew the tunes, you know? Right. I mean, I was, I was, remember one thing I was going to bring up was there's just so many songs that I doubt will ever be heard again that we maybe tried. I would love to hear that. A couple times live and it's like Brit just didn't feel it. And so they just got abandoned. And, you know, we maybe did it a couple times. I mean, like, like Infinite Pet. Mm -hmm. I mean, we played that for a period. Oh, Was It You was, oh, I love that song. 
Um, Finer Nobody, Feelings yeah. is one of my yeah. all-time favorites. Yeah, and I, and I don't think we're ever going to hear that one live. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think we tried it once, if I recall. Well, with the rec- that's on the Spoon Times Three recording, okay. which, yeah. which I got from the yeah. website. So, um, you know, so that and that was when Gaga Gaga Ga was the the record. So I think every song on the record is there's a live recording. But mm-hmm. I mean, by today's standards and with yeah. another member, and I think it, those songs would just, um, you know, some of those that we don't hear anymore. But that's, yeah. the, that's the trouble with 10 albums and all the yeah. songs are, are pretty yeah. darn good. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have issues, um, you know, making a set list that's not four hours well, long. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll drop a, a, a suggestion here to you that maybe the Spoon podcast fan base can go at. Is, okay. I think it would be great as if... Um, and I know this. <laughs> I say this. Let's do it. Let's start Brent, the campaign. Brent's Let's gonna, start yeah. the campaign. I would, Here we go. I would love. I would love for them to do like, uh, you know, like just do like you do a song listing, all the songs listed, and then somehow we could do like a ballot. And oh then yeah, yeah. Like Pitchfork, Pitchfork Festival had that where you the fans picked um, the set list. Yeah. Like I remember watching a Flaming Lips thing where they did. Um, the, yeah, I would love that. That'd be amazing. I think it'd be kind of kind of funny to see how that. I I know Britt would be like, you know, or, oh, or, or those, or Jim would be like, I I can't go from this song to that song, you know. know. It's just well, I mean, we'll leave the sequencing those... up to them. They can do the yeah, sequencing. Yeah, yeah. We yeah, just yeah, get to pick yeah. the songs. I love yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, there's there's definitely you know those are the things people don't know that happens during a sound check or 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 a set list build. You know, building the set list is you have to think about how you get from one song into the other. And, and um, those, those things are, you know, and that's the one thing that I will say this and not, you know, comparing spoon to other bands I've worked with, but God bless, God bless him. You know, Brit will not do the same show twice. You know, there might be the same batches of songs from show to show, but I mean, he would carry this binder that would be like this thick holding my fingers up. It's about, uh, you know, a couple inches and he would have set lists, from years ago or the same city and just go back and look at like what they played before and uh and always try and switch things out and and i love that because it just keeps it fresh for everyone whereas you know no nobody being named but you know i've, I've done tours with bands where we just kind of you know play the same play the same set pretty consistently yeah, for know. weeks and yeah. and it's great you know it's a great show it's always going to be good, but it's, it definitely, it's like, where do you, how do you inspire yourself night after night to do the same? Right. Set of songs? Yeah, yeah. Cause the crowd's always excited to, mm-hmm. sh- to see it, but mm-hmm. uh, if Did you're they, not, if you're not excited about it, that can right come off as well, you know? And, and that's what I, you know, again, another thing I really appreciate about these guys is they have to be inspired. You know, it, it just doesn't work if they're not inspired, they're not going to go up there and just fake it. So I, uh, you know, and that's, that's just such a great thing about these guys. You know, I, I feel so fortunate. And, you know, when I heard the, kill the moonlight as just a music lover, uh, just blown away, like by that record by from start to finish, like, wow, this is about as perfect of an album as I heard in a while. And then to have the opportunity to put my fingers on faders. And uh, it was, it was wild. It was a wild thing to see. Yeah, that's great. And I'm glad you highlighted that because, I mean, I think even, you know, even fans that maybe um, have only seen them once might not know. But if you've seen them at least twice, yeah, you're never going to see the same shows, the same songs. Yeah, that I agree. That's such a great thing because, I mean, and you might even think, okay, well, they're going to 
open with this song right or they're gonna close but mm-hmm. like no there's like no formula at all mm-hmm. it's it's mm-hmm. like they have the process of of working through the songs mm-hmm. i think that's so much more fun because you can see a band like u2 which i actually really like u2 let's Me not too. make fun of u2 but Absolutely. they have like a set list they play every night if like you can look it up for years mm-hmm. they just it's like these are the songs every single mm-hmm. night mm-hmm. and um you know and they have a huge production and they have a huge amount of pe- so that's just sometimes the limitations of that, but absolutely. But you, you paint yourself into a corner when your production yeah. is so big, and right. you have to choreograph the show, the video, the lights, right. right? And if you and if you're changing that up oh, every man. night, I've been on those tours. Anyway, uh, but go ahead, finish your thoughts. Sorry. Well, I, no, I, but you, you're you're finishing it for me. That's the same. But but I mean, that's the that's the nice thing that um, at least for as a fan. What's the point of going to two two U two shows on a tour? Is it's going to be right. identical, right? You know? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but, I mean, um, I was I was very very still blows my mind to say this. Um, I was very fortunate to uh, do sound for a support uh, slot with Radiohead on the uh, King of Limbs tour a couple of years back, and mm. talk about a band. I mean, who just does not do the same set twice? They would they would rehearse you know, do long sound checks and just work and work and work. And I, it was so funny because I just immediately was thinking like, oh, this is so much like a spoon <laughs> spoon tour just on a massive scale, but they would, they would pull from like 80 songs. Right. And, and, you know, the thing that was magical about seeing that kind of took away the mystique for me of Radiohead is they were a real band like they would do a different show every night and some nights the set was incredible and some nights like wow that didn't quite work (laughs) the song order and that's just like a spoon show you know to me it's you kind of roll the dice maybe these songs work in this certain order or the energy matches and sometimes it doesn't and you know in general the crowd will just be happy to hear all of it or any of it but it's funny being on the other side where you're working with the band and the music night after night and you go, Oh, okay. That, that kind of worked and that kind of didn't. And it's just a, a, a very unique side to see that I never imagined when I started to get into involved in music and audio production that, you know, you, these things just don't ever cross your mind. You don't, you don't right. go that far <laughs> thinking about it. Like, Oh, yeah. I'm going to, you know, how, how do these songs work? And yeah. No, no I love that. That's what we're talking about, though. And we're also like pseudo uh, advertising to go see Spoon Live, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but no, yeah. it's cool because yeah. you know that's the thing. It's like the other thing I love about them is that every album is good. Like, I mean, you know, you see some acts um, where yeah, their first two records were huge hits, and they've been coming out with records, and nobody knows them, the songs, nobody cares. But it's like every every you know new album they'll they'll play. Like when I just saw them, I think they played. Well, they did five off of Lucifer on the Sofa. And I, and I know in the past, like looking at other sets, they've actually done more. But they did mm-hmm. basically like all side A. They're just going to keep playing music. So you should go see them. Okay, so we kind of got through the history. So we, we, <laughs> we talked about uh, up to ga, 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 ga. And then um, so let's talk about a little bit when you first came back. You, you, I know you mentioned it, having to learn some of the They Want My Soul songs. But mm-hmm. how, how was that? And how is it up to most recently? How has it been going? So there was a period after Soul where Britt reached out to me about, hey, you know, what is it that we could do to be more solid in terms of from a crew perspective Mm -hmm. and and people? And uh, and so we had this really great lunch uh, where we just sat down, talked about like, you know, the the things of transference and 
and what we went through and, and like how, you know, we could be different. And so, and out of that conversation, you know, we talked a lot about just like, Hey, you know, this is, you guys are still a great band and obviously you can still make this stuff happen. And, you know, this is, these are some things we can do. And, and so when it ended, he said, uh, he said like, well, you know, would you ever come back and do a show? And I was like, you know, would you ever come back and tour with us? And I said, well, I don't know if I'll tour, but I'll do a show with you. You know, let's see what happens. And then that was like some months later down the road, he called about doing the the one-off and we just immediately, it was like, Oh my God, uh, you know, this is, <laughs> this is just the best. And so I did some promo stuff with them for hot thoughts. And I love that record. And yeah. I was so yeah. much, I really did want to do that tour, but I had already had a commitment. I, I, I uh, you know, value my uh, word and, and the work I do. And once I say I'm going to do something, I'd, I'd like to do it. So couldn't do it, but they, they had Patrick from Slaybells did tour and he knocked it out, you know, and it was great. So they got, you know, they, they, they were, it was good. And then when he couldn't do this tour that Spoon wanted to do with the Beck and KG Elephant, that was my first time back really with them on any kind of real extended trip. You know, we, we had a great time and that was kind of, we, it left great. And that was when we started, you know, like, Hey, let's see what happens. And then Britt and I had the conversation last year about, about Lucifer and the tour. And I said, Hey man, I, I, you know, I'm in, I'd love to do it. And let's just try and make it work juggling between um, another group. And, and I'm, I'm so glad I did, you know, Um, and being back is just, it's, it's, it's great. I think, you know, especially between Jim and Britt and I, we have such this long history of (laughs) being in each other's space that at this point, it's just, it's, it's, it's very, you know, we just know what to expect at this point out of each other. All our little quirks are now kind of funny and, you know, the jokes that we've had over the years or things that we've said. And um, now it's, 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 uh, as I've always cherished the memories with these guys, now it's, it's just more endearing and, you know, and it's, it's still, I feel very lucky, uh, you know, blessed, uh, and, and, you know, that we've all worked so hard and we can still do this together. And it's, uh, and it's still, you know, the shows are still great. They're still playing in front of good, you know, good-sized crowds. And oh, yeah. people still want to see them. And there's still chatter about how good they are live. And, you know, that's, that's, a, that's, that's a good feeling. Yeah, yeah. Well, like, I mean, so for my money and for my, my stamp on the uh, – because I can control this narrative. No, I, I'm trying to keep everything <laughs> non-biased. But for, you're, yeah. a member, you're, you're a member of Spoon and your influence, I think, was essential to the, to the live sound and, and to, still to this day. Um, you know, like you're saying, other guys have worked with them, but they're really emulating you. No offense to Pat. No offense to Aaron. I met Aaron. He's very nice. Oh, yeah, um, no. But, no, uh, but, you know, it's, well, it's, it's, it's something you guys created though, um, in those earlier years that I think that's still we're still hearing the you know the the effects of that so i love that it's it's incredible thing to be a part of you you feel like a part of the band you know right kind of it's it's other auxiliary member on the other side exactly uh, yeah you know that's um that's a very uh it's a it's a it's a real special relationship to have with music and and especially because i'm not i'm not on the creative side of the writing or or that kind of thing but when you are part of bringing what is on stage or what it is that the band is trying to do. And you're trying to bring that to the audience, the way the band wants to have it received, then it's, 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 it's powerful. That's the drug of, of choice for me, you know, just having a great show, you know, when you say like, Oh, yeah, well, you know, what, what's the greatest part about touring? I'm like the show that's, that is, 
you know, that, you know, you can travel and you've seen things and done things, you know, there's, there's definitely these marks in the road, you know, obviously doing SNL. I mean, the time in that same year, year, I think within months of each other, we got to go to Abbey Road studio just to see it. And that was, we were all like mind blown about how did we get to do these things? <laughs> you know, That's awesome. And, and uh, you know, we were still having these pinch yourself moments and, um, and I still think that those are important every day. You know, you can't, you don't want to get too comfortable or forget that like, Hey, you know, this is a really incredible achievement to be mm-hmm. playing live music in front of thousands of people and, and uh, that, that they enjoy it. You know, they want to come and see you and, and not yeah. because of one song or, you know, they, yeah. they know the, they know, they know the, the repertoire, you know, yeah, they know your great. repertoire mm-hmm. catalog. And so. Yeah. Gratitude's super important for no matter where you are in life, but yeah, that's, that's fantastic that you, um, that you reflect on that because you are, like I said, we, we will have Brit and Jim as co number ones of spoon. Then as far as we're a member, uh, three, four, five, six, seven, et cetera. Um, but yeah, you, you and Mike McCarthy are up there where we won't, we won't, we won't release the final numbers until we, uh, until we have finished the whole no, podcast, no, no, but no, 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 no. <laughs> not on, not on a rating. So just a little bit of history, or like you could say, Jeff Bird's Hot Pockets trivia. Um, so you, you are cemented in history with the written in reverse, one of my favorite songs, single. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have you. That's your picture on my phone. Uh, the photo, oh yeah, the photo of you from the back of the seven inch, as yeah. well as your name dropped in um, Mean Red Spider. Spider, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's great. And then I have a couple other things reflecting back on anything. Was there ever like one song that was just really hard, like really hard to do. And that was just really challenging. I think a song to, uh, in terms of the hard, one of the harder songs to get like the vibe um, was the, the ghost of you lingers. Now I love, I love that. Love I love it. that song and live. It's incredible, but there would be these times where it just didn't quite work or, you know, it just didn't hit the way it was meant to be. And so you would just kind of feel like it was a little, not flat, but it just, it just, um, that was, that was a hard one. Like it either was just a home run or a strikeout and not with the crowd, just like how, it, uh, like even my effects, like sometimes just the reverb wouldn't hit in the right spot or it wouldn't trail a certain way. And it was such a, that to me was one of the songs that was so sensitive to the nuance. And mm-hmm. I know there's other ones for different reasons, but you know, that it was so sparse and delicate, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like, kind of like in the early years, like, you know, that was, we, you know, we would do paper tiger and that had a very similar vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah which oh i I love that song too yeah well that's what i was gonna mention both of those songs i mean i've said to brit like you should at least play one of them every night alternate because paper (laughs) tiger because they're a similar vibe very sparse but then those like big like live i've heard the paper tiger bootlegs where like the drums are super loud echoey i'm like oh this is so good um so like i think they're but in the in a similar vein yeah maybe you don't play them like in the same night or next to each other mm-hmm. but um mm-hmm. i could see where that could be challenging though yeah because yeah. I, I remember i got to see that at that show in 09 i saw uh, ghost even lingers live and yeah it sounded great it was definitely a song that got tweaked a lot and obviously back in the day when there was more of a reliance on what we called the football which uh, i don't know if 
ever anyone ever talks no, about the football? Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So the early uh, incarnation of Spoon uh, when I started was um, Josh Zarbo on bass and then uh, uh, Kevin Lovejoy on keys. And so we had an Akai Z4, and that had all the keyboard sounds and like little single press key effects like uh you know just like the nuances like a um some sound effect mm-hmm. um and kevin would trigger those and also be playing his keyboard as a controller for the organ and piano patches that were a lot from the record and so um there were many years where we never toured with but just the one sampler no backup so kevin called the z4 the football and he said no football no game so that's how you know that's how we called it and um but yeah that was one of those things and so eventually we started to carry a backup and boy oh boy those there was only a couple times where we had to go to the backup rare but we had a couple of close calls i think we only really had one show oh boy this is a show (laughs) i don't know Britt or jim or anyone talked about it but we played this radio show in Atlanta for, you know, like one of those summer concert series. It was at the Olympic park, you know, where the, cause they built this park for the Olympics in Atlanta. Okay. And it was, and I remember the headliner was Switchfoot. I mean, none of the bands <laughs> on the bill were, were really in any kind of kindred spirit to us. Right, right. Another band was like this kind of uh, rap metal thing called heavy mojo. <laughs> and, and we played in there somewhere oh, and wow. I'm, and, uh, uh, you know, the, the guys stuck it out as best they could. But basically, I, the crowd just was not a spoon crowd and oh. they wanted to hear something heavy or whatever. And so they were they were they were starting to throw like those plastic Bud Light bottles because it was a Bud Light show. So there was a lot of free beer and it wasn't so much getting pelted, but they were just starting to chuck them around. And then ours and then our sampler which we didn't have a backup at the time started to glitch out. And so we just kind of were like, all right, we, we played, I think we were supposed to play like 40 and we played 30 or something. I mean, basically we, we, you know, the sounds were starting to get glitchy. And so we had to, we kind of pulled an audible, but it was sort of a, also just the whole vibe was not there. And I, I can honestly say, Oh man, out of all the spoon shows, that was the one where we just said, all right, now we, 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 we gotta, we gotta pull out. But, you know, we, we were very uh, fortunate to get through all those other years. Just, but well, uh, I, don't, I guess that's funny. Nobody talked about the football. No, I've never something. heard about that. Well, yeah, yeah. so you, you're kind of also the, the conduit for the, uh, the whole live show thing. Because, you know, most of the time um, on the podcast, we've been talking about how the records were made. So this is I have had written. So I've had notes for uh, this interview for a while on my phone. Um, this one, I don't remember why I put it in there, but I think there's a good story because somebody mentioned it to me to ask you, they talked about April, an April 1st prank where the band was arrested. And then you there were, there were so many. Yeah. So you were was. the prank. So you were the pranky on the, on the, on the spoon, uh, caravan that they, they got arrested. <laughs> if you don't remember, this I don't somebody remember. else thought it was fun. I remember one that they tried to pull on me, which was. Like, hey, we have to fly and do this show and there's going to be horns. They tried to like they tried to give me like a prank of like, OK, we're just going to 
dump all this stuff on you to stress you out. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's um, they've there. There's you know har- harmless pranks, but there's right, some right, pranks. Right. Did they did they talk about the time they stuck a uh, taxiderm deer uh, ram's head in my bunk? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. no. Yeah. Uh, the short the short part of that story is. So going back to the Z4 samplers, um, you had to have a certain amount of computer RAM for it to operate. And when you bought one, it it came with a minimal amount. And so we had to purchase RAM to, to, to you know, get it up. I to see where stuff. it's going. And so there was always this joke about RAM and, you know, and, you know, take that, take it and roll with it from there. But so Rob uh, Pope, and his brother had a studio in, in uh, Eudora just outside of Lawrence. And there was um, animal, you know, taxidermed heads on the, in the live room. And so we went, I can't remember what tour it was. Well, we were, um, we were uh, doing some pre-production rehearsals at the studio in Aurora and uh, Eudora. And, um, and so <laughs> the first show was in Lawrence and over that time in that night, they took the ram off the wall and put it in my bunk. And so when I pulled the curtain back to the bunk, oh, man. there was a ram's head in my bunk and har har. Hey, you know, these guys are always goofing around. But They're just pretty, a bunch. It's of pretty goofball. harmless. Yeah. And for me, that stuff sort of doesn't phase me much only because I grew up with four brothers. So it's just kind of that kind of mm-hmm. vibe sometimes. And uh, yeah. that's all I had officially. So Jeff Bird, Hot Pockets, 20-year spoon <laughs> veteran. I appreciate you. I thank, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for doing this, and uh, thanks for inviting me, and I uh, appreciate you taking uh, interest in the band in this way and, and uh, doing something you love and with music that you love. Write you with seven words. Once to send Jeff Bird.